you're writing now, you pretty much walk out your back door and you're able mm-hmm. to get into the zone right into it. Yeah, this is a this is like a the mother-in-law suite uh, uh, on our house, so it's like a detached little casita behind mm-hmm. the pool, and so it's thirty steps out my back door, and then I'm in I'm at work, so it's a pretty good pretty good commute. Are you getting first thing in the morning? Are you putting in the time? Is that pretty much how you're doing it still? That's how I did it for years and years and years. I have uh, three stepchildren now. Um, I got married two years ago, two and a half years ago. And um, so now there's kind of like the carpool shuffle every morning and dogs getting fed and medicines and that sort of stuff. And then I come out here. So it's usually about eight and I'll write till noon or one um, on on an ideal day. And uh-huh. uh, the, the rest of the day is just the other business of writing and research and whatnot. And the ideal day, I know you're a word count guy. What's the perfect word count each day? I've just at this point in my career, if I hit a thousand, it's okay. If I hit 1500, it's good. If I hit 2000, I'm like really stoked. Um, but yeah, I mean, a thousand is like my minimum goal. Uh I mean, do you ever feel like you even hit 500 days anymore? I mean, you could bang out a thousand probably every time you step in there. Right. I, I, if I have the time I can, um, it just depends on what else is going on throughout the day. Some days, some days it's my fault that I'm not productive and I hate those days, but when it's somebody else's fault, I'm not productive. I, it's really easy to go like, Oh man, you have no idea how many words I would have done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, as I get closer to deadline, the word count goes up. So obviously I can always be working harder. Yeah. 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 And for the people who don't know Mark uh, on the first podcast, you kind of told us you didn't start out as a writer. Um, you know, for just give us a quick little recap for people who don't know, you started out a little differently than most, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I spent 15 years trying to write my first book and I started it when I was 22 and finished it when I was 37 and never got that in front of an agent or anything. I wrote another book and then I got that in front of an agent and he said, hey, you're a good writer, but this book isn't marketable at all. Write me something else. So I wrote another book and he said, this is closer, but you shouldn't have done it in first person. And you know, there's this character, the gray man that I like, but the the actual mission that he's on is kind of boring. So maybe something a little more cool and mainstream. So gray man was my fourth novel. So it took me uh, from the time I first started writing to when I got published was about 20 years. And that 31 year old dude, he was kind of just plugging away at this shit, you know, going to the Starbucks, you probably had a different time then you probably had more time. But like, what yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, the rejection of this whole thing is so fucking demoralizing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people who listen to our podcast, that's what, you know, that's where they're at. And they're dealing with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Bring us back to that 30-year-old guy. I mean, what were you telling yourself each day? I mean, what motivated you to keep writing? Was it just the joy of writing? Yeah, it, it really, it was a it was a 35-year-old guy before I was really working at it. You know, I say I, I did work 15 years on my first book, but it was pretty lazy work. You know, now you know what it, now that I know what it takes to put a book in, I don't give myself super credit for like working my butt off for 15 yeah. years. It was more like I was picking at this story idea, finished that, wrote something totally different, finished that, wrote something different. But when I was about 35, yeah, I was very depressed. Every, every January 1st, I'd start like a resolution to write X amount of words and blah, blah, blah. And then probably by January 5th, um, that was by the wayside. Yeah. So I, I just, but I just kept, you know, slowly plugging away, but, but it got to the point where I just told myself, you like to write. And if nothing ever comes out of this, 
something is coming out of this because you're you're enjoying what you're doing and and to stop stressing about that and within a couple of years i got published it, it it was just kind of letting the the steam out of the kettle a little bit as far as being stressed out being in my late 30s and and been doing this for so long and nothing had come out of it it just it it just was like okay i need to do you know tell myself i'm doing this for its own you know for for my own pleasure and then you know maybe good things will come and fortunately they did yeah. And I mean, going back, I mean, can you remember what resources were you working with back then? I mean, was the internet around back then? Uh, I mean, it, when it, you were writing, yeah. yeah. how do you teach yourself how to write a book? Yeah, I didn't teach myself how to write a book. I just read, I, I read novels. I didn't even yeah. read books on writing. I mean, I read Stephen King's on writing. I was going to ask. Read it. It, it's a fantastic book. I mean, everyone should read it. I'm, yeah. I'm like everyone else. You got to read it. Um, but I really didn't do any, I, I took one creative writing, like, seminar like after out of college i was probably in my mid to late 20s yeah um and we're, we did a couple of short stories that was the only you know like study i ever did of writing everything else was just by writing and by just reading novels and really just reading novels for pleasure i never really got into that thing where it's like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna diagram the third act of this book or anything like that i always thought like if if i started making it into work i would stop reading for pleasure and i the internet was yeah invented basically by by my 30s or or whatever but not but not in the early stages and totally and I, but i hadn't i never looked to see a, i didn't know what an agent was i didn't know what publishers did i didn't know any of that while i was writing that first book and once i finished that first book i i looked all that stuff up and i was like oh crap i did everything wrong the book is like way too long has way too many characters i mean now my books are longer than that one <laughs> but you know for a new author it's kind of hard to get away with uh, books that are too long in this genre. So I I acknowledged that I'd made a lot of mistakes, but I knew I'd learned a lot along the way and uh, just kept plugging it. Any specific book you could think back then that maybe made you think you'd want to do this? Or was there any kind of moment, anything, or was just you felt like you always wanted to do it? I, I, I was taking a class in college uh, called International Terrorism in the Criminal Justice Department. I was majoring in international relations and political science. And we were learning about some terrorist group in Lebanon and just something. And, and at the time, I was reading a bunch of Clancy and Lake Carre and Nelson DeMille, Frederick Forsyth. And I just kind of got this little idea while sitting in class, like, oh, it'd be cool if, if that, you know, this, you know, there's a terrorist with this group who had a brother and the brother's a sympathetic guy. And um, but everybody thinks that he's the terror, you know, I, I can't even remember what it was. Of course. Yeah. But that's what I, yeah, that's what I started like picking at. And I was literally like, wow, this is, this is an idea. I should write this down. And that all changed, but that was the first idea that I had to write, to write. I, um, you know, honestly reading Tom Clancy, I, I, I kind of joke and it's not a joke at all. It's true that I am, I'm inspired by really good writing, but I was really inspired by terrible writing. <laughs> like when you would read a published novel that you go, wow, that is like demonstrably, you know, demonstrably just crap. You know, it's like what this person's saying here doesn't make sense or, or, or whatever. And I'm, and you're like, well, that guy got published. Maybe there's hope for me. And I read a few books like that. So when you, when you, I won't say names, but like when you say what inspired you, I mean, honestly, I was inspired along the way when things weren't going well i would read this book and go like okay there's no way two people would ever say that in dialogue that that is just nonsensical baloney 
It's like, I think I need to keep plugging away because I'm better than this guy. And he got a book deal and, uh, you know, I'll take it from there. Yeah. I mean, I think you gotta be pretty cognizant of that. And, you know, and, you know, you talked about it on a couple other podcasts. It's just, you know, you can't live a fantasy thinking if you don't have the, the talent to do it, you know, you can't pursue something that's, but at the same time, if you're putting in the work and you're thinking to yourself, well, I look at it as writing music, right? Writing writing a yeah. book kind of similar to writing and teaching yourself. Well, if there's a verse, there's a chorus. You used to play music, right? Did you play? Uh, yeah, drums, yeah. yeah. It's a verse, there's a chorus. You know, If someone else could write a song, why couldn't I write a song? And I think right. you're, you're spot on with saying, well, this guy writes, you know, this sentence sucks. I can do yeah. this. Yeah, uh, and, I, and it's, it's a real balance because... Y- you can't like if you don't have any talent you're probably nothing you know you're probably not going to be great at it but you will get better every time you write a page you know it's like i i tell people who are writing you know that are just spending all their time plotting it out and trying to figure out what their book is and you know this part and that part and then they're going to write it it's like you just have to start writing and generating pages and you'll find your story in there um hopefully if you don't, then, uh, you know, at least you've written some pages and there, there will be something in the mechanics of it all that you will improve by doing that work. But um, so many people just get crippled by this feeling that they've got to have every I dotted and T crossed before they write the first word. And I've never been able to make that work. I always kind of fantasize about my outline for my next book. You know, it's being this just perfect document and I'd go into work every morning and be like, all right, today's where I write chapter 43, where, you know, he rescues the heroine or something like that. It, it never happens that way. It's like you're in the you're in the story. and You don't know. You, you might have some ideas of what's coming later, but, you know, it's like, how do I get from here to there? You just kind of have to figure that out on the day and trust yourself that you'll you'll come up with something and not spend all your time thinking about writing a book. Mm-hmm. And I mean, going back to, you know, again, those early days where you were doing it, it's just, it's that first draft, right? I mean, how much of that first draft can you really stress about being perfect? I mean, it, it's 50%, yeah. maybe, maybe 50%, right? You could even hold on oh, to yeah. that it's worth keeping. Yeah. I didn't think about this in the past, but I've you know, like recently just talking to people, it, it's like, you just have to give yourself the grace to to write a crappy first draft. You're getting it down because I, I fix my book. My books just come together in the edits. Yeah. You know, I'm getting the story down and I will I will write things that I know aren't gonna be in the book because it's yeah. like, all right, they're in Guatemala and they've got to get to Belize and they don't have a car and you know, I put them on a bus and maybe they'll be on a plane later. Um and and you know it seems like wasted time, but it's not. You're figuring out what you want to do. Um, I, you know, I wish that every word I wrote ended up published <laughs> in yeah. my novel. It feels like everything would, you know, it'd save a lot of time, but that's not really how it works. And I think you just find your story while working on it. And, um, uh, you know, you just like, you're, you're carving something, you you just chip away the stuff you don't like afterwards and then, and fix the, fix the other stuff. I, it's like making a sculptor, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, exactly. That's just, what I was trying to say. Cool. I couldn't think of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's the more you should, yeah, I I felt like I know when I, in my early writing, it was just, you felt like if you had too much stuff, you know, much was too much was bad, but I think now too much is good because now you can take away all the shit. Um, Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, that's where you learn what your story is about. And that's where you have, you might have dialogue that's way too long, but somewhere as you're writing the dialogue, you will 
create this point of tension between these two characters where there wasn't. And then you get rid of the boring stuff and then keep this tension point, you know? So it, it is like, you're just creating for yourself in that first draft. And, uh, you know, you can't get locked into thinking that that's the, the final, the final piece. Um, do you write in silence or do you listen to any kind of music, any kind of background noise? I listen to rain. I usually have my headphones on and I just listen to the sound of rain Yeah, um, and not the sound of waves. Like nothing else really seems to work. Like i get too distracted and I've tried, I've tried everything. I've tried, uh, listening to like, you know, inspiring, like movie theme music or, you know, soundtracks or anything like that. And I, I just get too distracted by it. Yeah. So just, just the sound of rain. And really my favorite place to write is in a coffee shop or in a hotel lobby or something like that, where there's kind of activity around oh. me, which I'm not focused on, but I don't know. There's something soothing about that. And it, it kind of helps me focus. But I, I can't do that as much in Memphis because people know I live in Memphis. People know me. So if I go to any one of 20 Starbucks that are within reach, somebody's going to sit down and be like, hey, you need to write a book about my brother-in-law or something. And and um, they, it, it could be a great book. I just don't have time to do it. <laughs> yeah, the, I, it. yeah. I, I live in Haight-Ashbury, San Francisco, and there's a, oh, nice. a, a famous author that lives here. And no one knows him by his face except me. And I see him and he sees me walk into the grocery store. And yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm just nice with him, but he, I could see yeah. his eyes. Like, oh, shit, he's going to talk to me again. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, you, you mentioned Memphis. Um, we didn't. I forgot to ask. Did you see the Elvis movie? Yeah, I loved it. Gosh, you I loved, loved it. it. Okay, okay. I thought, I thought it was good. You know, obviously it was very, um, what's the word, esoteric or, you know, like it, 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 was, it was very stylized. But but I I like that. I thought it was really really cool. I've never seen any other movies that that director had done. But I understand that he 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 does these kind of stylized things. I thought Austin Butler was amazing, and yeah. um, and everybody on everybody down here that I know really enjoyed it. So Austin Butler was never in your head about possibly being in the Gray Man. <laughs> no, I never, I never even heard of him. So I, I know he was been in some stuff, but I've never even heard of him before. Uh, yeah. Yeah, first first time I ever saw him, he was Elvis in the movie, and but, I was like, I don't I don't know how he'd ever look like anything yeah, else. You know, still, I think I he's still up. today. Um, yeah. so yes. The, the last time you were on the movie was not. It might have even been in pre-production. If I'm not, it might it wasn't out. Um, mm -hmm. Let's fast forward today, and now this movie's been and it's a whole thing. You know, I'm not going to ask you about what happened in your life, but how has that affected, if at all? You're writing. Um, do you think on a different scale now? Are you thinking about these books? They have to be movies now, or are you just still tunnel vision doing your thing? I don't think it's had a big effect on me. I'm not sure that I know another way to write my, you know, like I don't, I don't really know how to change. Um, if they, if someone told me they had to be more, I, I feel like I write pretty cinematically anyhow, because that's, that's what I see. And even in the dialogue I have, you know, I always address when there's pauses or, facial tics or anything like that, because I'm seeing it very visually when I'm writing it. So that's just naturally how I write. But, um, you know, there, there's differences in the film to the books, a lot of differences. Yeah. And people are like, well, what are you going to do now? Because the, they did this with this character. And I'm like, I'm not going to do anything. I've already got 12 books. I'm not going to like rewrite them. And I'm not going to just pretend like everything changed when the movie came out. And I think there's something good about having the film and the book somewhat different because there's still a reason to watch the movie or still a reason to read the book mm -hmm. and off the top of your head any film adaptations that you're a fan of 
I just, I'm thinking now, you ever read Jurassic Park? Yeah, I read Jurassic Park and the movie was really good. Um, yeah, uh, Michael Crichton's one of the best writers ever. You ever oh. read Sphere? It's like one of his last, oh. they turned it, the movie was not that great, frankly, but the, the book I read it in 24 hours and yeah. I, I'm a pretty slow reader. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of amazing Michael Crichton uh, novels. Uh, I say Hunt for Red October is the most authentic adaptation I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it, it is scene for scene. I mean, obviously they they thinned it up some, but I mean, not much, yeah. not much. Um, the other one I always say is Silence of the Lambs. I read that book right before that movie came out. I saw the movie was coming out and people were t- had been talking about the book. And I was like, all right, do I want to read the book after or before? And I was just a reader then. I wasn't, I don't, I guess I was trying to write, but um, so I read the book like a week before I saw the movie and I was like, wow, that the movie kicked ass, but so did the book. So that yeah. it's, it it happens for sure. Another one, um, The Godfather. Uh, yeah, I never read that book. I'm embarrassed. He gets a lot of shit. People, he's an easy guy to shit on for some reason. Mario Puzo, but Puzo, yeah, he, that that book, that one book. I mean, that was a mat, and then they pretty almost page for page. Uh, added, really? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, yeah. pretty cool. Uh, that's probably why that. That's probably why the movie was uh, three and a half hours or whatever it was, which was unheard of at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have chance? Do you have time to read these days anymore? I, you know, most of the reading I do is for research. Um, yeah. and then I blurb people's books and which means you just lightning fast, read them. And, um, and, but you know, it's, I would love to pick up a, you know, an old Michael Crichton book and, and read it or a Michael Connolly book. You know, it's like, I used to love Michael Connolly. I haven't read any of his books in 15 years. And it's not because I don't think he's awesome. It's just because like right now I'm reading like three books on robotics and uh, you know, for, for next year's book. And when I wrote burner, I was reading, you know, stuff about Russian mafia and cryptocurrency and things like that. So, you know, I'm I'm usually focused on this, but uh, yeah, I always have a pile of stuff that I want to get to. Yeah. And I mean, you're a big research guy. I mean, a a bunch of research goes into everything that you do. How do you, schedule that time i mean are you planning trips out in advance when you have an idea for a book are you planning a trip to you know moscow seven months from now i mean how do you how do you do that sometimes yes um the book i'm writing now uh, part of it takes place in cuba and i'm planning a trip to cuba to go there last year for for burner i went to saint lucia which is in the book and i wrote a bunch of scenes in italy and switzerland and, and told myself i didn't need to go because I've, I've been there several times and no big deal, yeah. but I wrote this one scene in the book, which is my biggest action scene ever. It's about 80 pages. I went, once the book came out, you know, I, I went and counted the pages. Um, so it's about 15% of the book that takes place on a train between uh, uh, Milan and Geneva. And I, after I turned in the first draft, I was like, you know what? I'm not that happy with that. I need to go over to Italy, which is an amazing luxury to have. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying everybody can do this. I couldn't have done this when I was 35. Um, and so I went over there with my wife and we spent a few days in Zurich. We went down to Milan and then we took this exact same high speed train to Geneva. And um, I rewrote the scene for the second draft. Um, so that was a, that was an example of me not thinking I needed to do the research until the book was done. And I was going, that's eh, a little thin. Let, let's let's make that better. And I mean, how many books in the future are you already planning ahead at this point? I mean, you have ideas for by 2030 of all. 
People ask me that, and I really don't. I mean, as far as the Gray Man series, I don't know where it's going. I have kind of ideas about little things that I'd love to happen in the story arcs of the different characters. And I have little ideas of like, well, I'd like to have one that's more focused on his father, you know, his relationship with his dad and his brother. And, um, and, but it's, it's not any more thought out than that. You know, the, the book that I have that I'm working on now, which will be out this time next year, I started thinking of it in October. And had, you know, a, a bare bones outline by January 1st. And I started picking away January 1st. And here we are in the middle of February. I'm about 40,000 words in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and we'll probably stop for the next couple of weeks to do promotion. And uh, so I'll probably get back into it in March and hopefully have it done in the summer. But, I you know, it, it's not something that I've been planning on writing for three years. It, basically, before October 1st, I didn't really have any ideas. Uh, and are you, is, do you allow these thoughts to kind of come and tread? And when you're writing too, I mean, do you put, you don't really put blocks in yourself. I mean, you can sit in a Starbucks and a lady walks in and you can almost use that. I mean, do you allow yourself that freedom in your writing? Absolutely. I, and you need it, especially after this is uh burner's my 23rd published novel. So you know, <laughs> yeah. my, my joke now is like, I can't just think up something cool, you know, the, some, the first thing and write that down. I have to think up 24 things before I find something I yeah. haven't already done before. And, yeah. and I don't ever want to like go retread over the same ground. So you want to do things different in, in different ways. So it gets tougher the more books you have out. There, there was probably a sweet spot for me where my writing skill and my newness, you know, and, and fresh ideas were like, and that was probably back in the early Clancy days. That was probably like, you know, not that I'm saying I'm a dinosaur or whatever. I, I still have a lot more good books ahead of me, but, but, you know, it, it was easier back then. I didn't, it didn't feel easy, but, um, you know, it feels harder now that, now that, um, I've got more books under my belt. Yeah. And for people who don't know, um, you kind of told a, a, a funny story about the first time you met Tom Clancy, um, yeah. going to the hotel room in Bolton. Did he have like a whole yeah. floor of the hotel room or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So he had the penthouse at the Ritz Carlton Towers yeah. in Baltimore. So it, it's like he, it was a condo, but he had the, the whole top floor and they sent me to go, um, you know, kiss the ring. Yeah. Uh, to to get the job, and I was I, I dealt with a ton of social anxiety at the time, and this was just so much bigger than anything I'd ever done or thought that I would ever do with my life. You know, I've been work was working in a cubicle two years before that, and um, and, and yeah, it was a terrifying experience. But I I guess the funny part is I I came in with a with a f- some flowers because I said I should bring Tom something and they're like, well, you'll see his wife first and she'll take you in to see him. And it's like, bring some flowers for Alex. So I got this big bouquet of flowers that morning and I came in and, and the housekeeper actually answered the door and she took me in. I thought she was taking me in to meet uh, the wife and she walked me right into Clancy's office. So I walk in with this big bouquet and he, he's like, you brought me flowers. Like he was just befuddled. Like he's like, what an idiot. But I immediately, I was like, this is not how I was told this was going to go down. I did yeah. not know I was going to be walking in your uh, in your office with a big bouquet. How many? Do you know how many books in total did he end up writing? Do you know? Um, I should know, thirteen or fourteen, something like that. Yeah. So you're already um, past them. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. His his were big, dense books, um, yeah. and a lot of them were pre. Well, virtually most of them were pre-internet. Oh yeah, so, yeah. imagine that that level of research is incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so going forward, I mean, do you have a number in your head of when you I mean you're going to do this till the, pretty much you can't do it anymore? I mean, till the stories run out. Seems like you're not really stressed about it, which is probably the biggest part of that battle I'd imagine. Yeah. I enjoy doing it. Um, yeah. I also enjoy writing other things and I, I will slow down some, I, you know, I have a family now and as I said, it just gets tougher to come up with things that are new and fresh. So, you know, I've been, I've been on a two book a year thing for a while this year. I only have one book coming out, but next year I have two books coming up. Um, so I feel like I'll slow down, but I would love to be writing gray man books 20 years from now. Uh, you know, even if it's one every four years or something, yeah. I, I would still like to be doing it. Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You've written another book from a, another series, right? That you kind of, but never really got back to it. Do you tell, tell us about that. It's kind of outside of the wheelhouse a little bit, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure. So I, I basically have two other series now, but only one book in each one for different reasons. Um, totally. There's going to be a there's going to be a second book in the Red Metal series and a second book in the Armored series, and then I have a- aspirations of writing a, a romantic suspense novel. Do you? But, um, I've been yeah, I've been plotting it out for a few years, and I, someday I'll get the the chance. But my uh, my dance card's pretty packed tight right now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So then going forward, I mean, you're, you're just writing, doing it all after that. I mean, are you waiting for another movie? I mean, how was the idea of writing the screenplay? I'm not sure how much involvement you had with that. You, you know. Yeah, I had no official involvement. They had me okay. like come out and talk to the directors, but I didn't write the screenplay. I wasn't on set. I wasn't a producer on the project or anything like that. Um, I saw it in the theater. Or, well, I saw it. I saw an advanced screening, honestly, but, um, you know, a month before it came out. So it wasn't like I was part of the process, but they are doing a sequel. So they're writing that now and, you know, probably a couple of years, but it, there, there will be a sequel sequel. And that book, that film did really well. So they're, they're happy with, uh, with how it did. A quick writing question. When you're writing characters or developing characters, do you picture their faces in your mind? Are you building a face at all? Or do you build a voice in your head of who, who these people are in real life? Or do you kind of yeah. like, just do talking? It's a good question. And it's really hard to explain, but I never have seen anybody's face um, in my writing. I, I, I have very specific ideas of them, but not really facial features, including the gray man. And everybody's like, now that Gosling is playing the gray man, you see him when you write it. And I really don't. And good. I thought he did yeah. a great job in the, yeah, I thought he did a great job in the role. And I thought he captured the character and, and all that. And so it's nothing against him. It's just, like my process is sort of like looking over people's shoulders and not looking at them in the face. I, even my female lead Zoya, um, I, I don't know exactly what she looks like. You know, I could describe her, but um, you know, if somebody walked in the room, I wouldn't say, Oh my God, that's Zoya. You know, <laughs> I've never really fleshed out faces and I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is. Well, I mean, I know you're a James Bond guy. I mean, there how, how many different yeah. James Bonds were there? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a ton of James Bonds, and and I didn't think Ian Fleming as as cool as he was. I remember he would always talk. He would describe James Bond's look, and he'd always say he has a cruel mouth. He said that in every book. Well, he had a cruel mouth. I have no idea what a cruel mouth is, and it sort of takes you out of the story a little bit. And it's like yeah. that's very very descriptive of something that I don't understand. So I'm you know I basically describe my character as five ten and a half brown hair, beard and a mustache, or not a beard and a mustache depending on. 
the story. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and I don't really put it. Yeah, you basically. <laughs> and, I, and I don't really flesh it out all that much. I just leave yeah. it up to the to the readers. Yeah, yeah, Mark. Always a pleasure, man. We really appreciate yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's great. The listeners like hearing, you know, about people who, if you just keep doing it, you keep doing it, it you know, it makes them fucking, just yeah. fucking doing it. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about it. it's awesome to say. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Um, yeah, I, I love talking to, to people about that process because it was, you know, it was a longer period of my life where I was trying to make this happen than than there has been where I've actually <laughs> been making it happen. So I'm still very connected to that. Thanks so much, Mark. Have a great day. Oh, you bet. Thank you. Enjoyed it.